don't. Don't open that box. What have you done? You shouldn't have opened it. You shouldn't have opened it. Open it. Open it. Open it. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents The Mystery Box. Ooh. We're back at the box again. Yeah. The box has been opened now, once when, more. When we say we... I mean you and I. Oh, and when you say you and I... I mean Ryan and Bartek. Ah, which one's the witch? I'm the Ryan. And I'm the witch. I mean, I'm Bartek. You are a witch. Oh, no. Well, that doesn't matter because we are Ryan and Bartek of Spit and Polish. We are called Spit and Polish, likingly, because we are always spitting and we both happen to be Polish. And we thought it'd come up with a good title. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty neat title. I thought, like, bang, this is this is it. This it's, is it's the not title. Like, it's not like through our university days when we were cool and wore sunglasses and leather jackets. Everyone's like, hey, guys, look, it's Spit and Polish. No, no, it's not them. Those bad boys over there. No, we just came up with it ourselves. On our show, The Mystery Box, which we are presenting to you, uh, we talk about a movie or or film or, or video question mark, project. Question mark, question mark, question mark. That we have selected at random from The Mystery Box. The mystery box is a box that is filled with DVDs that are from uh, secondhand uh, opportunity shops. Uh, yeah, secondhand stores. Secondhand stores, much. cash converters. They are films that are unfamiliar to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're not. We're not saying that they are complete mysteries. You might know them, but we are not familiar with them. We try to know nothing about the movies other than just seeing the cover and just watching it. On our Facebook page, we should post a picture of the box itself. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty rad it's box. It's like a little toolbox with a bunch of stickers on it. So this episode, Bartek had the pleasure of having to choose at random from the box. Yes, because we do not have a guest, unfortunately. Oh, no, they were struck down by the box. Mm, struck down. That's sounding a bit like religious revelations there, right? Oh, are you hinting at the fact that we could have watched a possibly religious movie? Yeah, and I just need to remind myself of the title. There we go. So, Bartok. Yes? What was the film that we watched for this episode of The Mystery Box? Ryan, I'm glad you asked because this film in every way, including its title, is unforgettable. Oh, The good. film that we... It's not the film Unforgettable. We did it on the other oh, show. Oh, we've done that on our other show, Unappreciated Masterpieces. Yes, yes. This film is not unforgettable, the title. It's unforgettable, the adjective. It is Media Apocalypse. Meteor Apocalypse? Yes. We are go for deployment. Awaiting command. We have our stratcom on standby, sir. Awaiting command. This is the president. Is everyone on? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mr. President, we have spoken to Presidents Li Shang, Todorov, and Rensselier. Prime Minister Bennett has also agreed to the initiative. The IAEA confirms compliance. This is all we can do. We watched a meteor apocalypse, a movie that's about a, well, it's in the name, a meteor apocalypse. Mm-hmm. It is about that. And Bartek had the pleasure of 
choosing this movie at random. Yes. Uh, I will tell you straight off the bat, my reaction was very, very positive to him having <laughs> chosen that. Uh, uh, it was, out of all the movies in the box, it's the one I've been looking forward to the most. And we've got like 16-ish around Yeah, lots the of box. them. There's yeah. a lot in the box. There's a compared, lot in the box. Some of them are double packs yeah, Compared well. to last episode, we've got like eight, nine yeah. films. So we've got a good amount of films and I've been looking Sorry, forward... Sorry, not films. Question mark, question, question mark, mark, question mark. Question mark, products. Um, I've been looking forward to Media Apocalypse the most. Mm. I bought it. I found it at a Salvation Army store and the cover... Ooh, we'll get to that, but... Ooh, it's a very enticing... Cover and I think also the main menu we should also describe. Yeah, the yeah. main menu is the cover as well. Bartek, what was your reaction to having selected Media Apocalypse? <laughs> There were definitely a few films that, um, in, in the mystery, because the mystery box is at your residence, not mine. Yeah. So I don't get to ruminate over everything in there. It is not one of the oldest things that have been waiting in the box, so it's not as memorable to me as, uh, you know... A Wobot's Christmas. Or... Yeah, A Wobot's Christmas, or the one that advertises Burt Reynolds telling and seeing it. Oh, and... The Legend of Frosty the Snowman, yeah. Yeah, or the the hentai that I put in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> and unlike, yeah, last, last month when we did that film, the Uratsuki Doji's uh, Legend of the Overfiend, Pretty much all day I was wondering, it's going to be that one, isn't it? And it ended up being right. But this time I had no idea what would be in there. But when I picked it, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this one being in there. And then when Ryan reminded me like, oh, this is the one that I think is a biblical apocalypse film. I was like, oh, this this might be fun. Meteor Apocalypse this is... brought to you by Faith Films. Yes, Faith Films. That's one of the strike ones of of my thought process of having to get this. I, I had three strikes when Faith buying films, this. Faith Films and Peacock Films. Well, Peacock definitely has to give a shout out because before we watched the movie, we pressed play and it gave us some interesting trailers to other films mm. that I really want to see, to be honest. They're... There was one, one in there like, that I definitely want to see. There's one about like a haunted lighthouse. There was one trailer that was legitimately about a... thinking inside the box. I think. It was no, called. no, no, no. Oh, I was gonna say there was the one about the pop star who is basically <laughs> a Backstreet Boy performing at the bowling alley, literally on the alleyway in front of and the and he realize and he gets a gig at like. I don't know, a Jewish hotel or something, and he becomes Jewish, I think. Yeah. And then the other one, which was... Thinking Inside the Thinking Box. Thinking Inside the Box. Called? No, no, no. It was called Box Borders. Box in Borders, which people, yeah. People go skateboarding inside of boxes. And then the one that I think would be great it's to cover on this show... Urban bobsledding or something. ...was uh, Woman's Tricks or whatever. Where tricks of a, a Woman. Tricks of a Woman. Yeah. <laughs> which is about this sleazy guy makes a wager that he could make an ugly woman a supermodel. And that's the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it's tricks of a woman, not this guy. No, no, he's not the bad guy. He, she's the bad guy. Well, she's she... a trick of a woman. Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah. Marvista Entertainment presents... People make mistakes. No, people make choices. A story about discovering inner beauty. Most women would give anything to be able to live their dream. And finding love. It's too good to be true. Where you least expect it. I thought I could change her, but she changed me. Scott Elrod. Elika Portnoy in Tricks of a Woman. There was a few things about Meteor Apocalypse that caught my eye. The cover was amazing. The cover is a wash full of images. It is a cover that has a cityscape at the bottom of it, which is tinged in red. It has tidal waves 
that are consuming the city from above. And above those tidal waves is space with a fiery hellscape landing towards the city, that being the meteor, of course. The thing that really caught me about the cover was it has a tagline above near the actors that is, A GREAT STAR FELL FROM HEAVEN BLAZING LIKE A TORCH, in quotation marks, but we don't know who said that. I actually never noticed that tagline. And then below the actual title, in Meteor the very middle in of the tiny box. writing is A BIBLICAL PROPHECY, A GLOBAL CATASTROPHE. And that rang bells in my brain of, oh, this is a Christian Armageddon film. Can't wait. Flip the cover over, you have two, uh, actual two leads running around in a, an apocalyptic meteor hellscape. There's some blurb on the back about how this is like the same as 2012 or the day after tomorrow or left behind an, an, an actual Christian Armageddon film. But the thing that really caught my eye was it said it was made by faith films and that just went oh this is definitely gonna be a christian armageddon movie i can't wait mm. i can't wait to watch this christian armageddon movie spoiler alert dreaming. we had to wait <laughs> we, we had to wait but we got to watch it and was it as good as i hoped it was well we'll find out won't yeah we? before we watched meteor apocalypse what was your thoughts about what the film was going to entail what did you think was going to happen in Meteor Apocalypse, brought to you by Faith Films? Well, look, let's just go with the obvious. The title is Meteor Apocalypse. The cover and the DVD menu have a city that's about to be hit by a huge red flaming uh, meteor and a huge tidal wave. Obviously, there was going to be destruction, and there's no twist. There was destruction. Oh, yeah. But, 100% was. And, and beyond that, obviously, you know, Apocalypse, Armageddon, there's going to be some sort of, like, survival aspect to the film. Um, there's going to be dilemmas, there's going to be problems, probably some character dynamics as they're dealing with these problems. But obviously, based on the cover, we were expecting a lot of religion <laughs> or, or religious perspectives to to justify everything happening and 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 what happens going forward yeah those were i think fair to say both of our expectations yes i 100 percent thought that this was going to be a movie uh, about like a meteor apocalypse because of religious armageddon i thought Man has been too sinful and God is wiping us out with meteors. Yeah, we remind you, the middle of the box says a biblical prophecy. So I thought like it would be one of those movies where it cut to like preachers and stuff being like, we warned you that this was going to happen, but thankfully we are saved because we are divine and blessed and Christian and all that. And I thought our two main characters were going to be like a husband and wife who were former Christians turned, you know, lazy atheists and then they learn about the true meaning of christ and religion and they are going to usher in a new era in the post-apocalypse of christianity basically i was wrong basically we were we were hoping for some on the nose commentary we really were there was a part <laughs> early on where the his wife said to him uh, are you going to come to church with us on Sunday? And he eventually agreed. And, and yeah, one of the first opening lines is from the from the mother, from the wife, saying goodbye to a bunch of women who are attending like a church group reading thing. She's like, "Yeah, next week we'll we'll look over Matthew part two or whatever." And there were and there were some biblical names throughout. Like the main character is David. And his friend was you know Sam, and we had like. Uh, 
I don't know. That was. I guess we David. were just making. <laughs> we were trying to grab for Christian references. Yeah, we, is what we're we were hoping that the, like the media would be called Goliath or something like that. It was never called Goliath. No, was it? it wasn't. <laughs> so yeah, this was a film that enticed me because of its promise of being a weird Christian movie, mm-hmm. and it didn't happen, man. Yeah. The film opens up on the Pentagon. Yes, it does. Yes. One of the first opening shots. I think the actual first shot is the is the comet on its way to Earth. Mm. But one of those shots is the Pentagon, and it's like a bunch of like weirdos at the <laughs> Pentagon. The like first there's this per- one woman, the whose first person eyes you see, so open that you said she looked like a weird anime girl. Yeah, because they have huge eyes. <laughs> And she was just, like, bugging out. And they're talking about, like, China's on board. And this is on board. Mr. President, are you on board? And you hear, like, a voice that's like, yes, it is I, the president. I'm on board. And you see, like, they're they're smashing keyboards and being like, we figured out the maths. We figured out the maths. And, like, the music is going, like, you know, that... There's literally a shot of a guy with his finger, like, over what would be, like, an escape key on a keyboard. And he's like, do I press it? Do I press it? And then he presses it and, like, has a stressed look, like, I've committed to pressing and, and then he presses the button and releases his hand like, oh, I've done it. I've done it. It's like, I've done it now. There's but no more pressure. What did they do, Bartek? They launched a bunch of missiles from all sorts of different countries at the falling meteor. Yeah, every with the atten- nuclear with, yeah, power, with, every country with nuclear arms yeah, with, fired their with, nukes. With at, the intention at, of at, destroying at, it. But, you know, because they thought we're going to blow it up, it will send it off course and the debris won't hit Earth. But... Uh, Science screwed up again. Wah, wah, wah. Mathematics is for losers because guess what? It made thousands and thousands of meteorites fall to Earth and made the comet also fall to Earth. Yep. So in fact, no- they did nothing. Well, no, Ryan. They made the big one a little smaller, but then it created a whole army of little. Yeah, that so really fucked us up. So yeah, you made it smaller, but. At what cost? At what cost? More destruction. Well, the guy who pressed the escape bus button must have been really sad when he saw the end result. Maybe he was meant to press a different button, but he thought the escape button would, like, you yeah, know... Yeah, he thought, escape the situation. <laughs> yeah. But he, he screwed up. So then we go from that intensity of, you know, the Pentagon and people in positions of power to just some random family. Little girl with a, like... Pl- Little girl, project. meaning like she's like twelve years old. She says, "I'm twelve years old now, Dad." Oh yeah, yeah. She's like, "I'm not a child. I'm twelve or something." I'm twelve, which is the the language of a child. <laughs> I'm not a child. It's like, oh, you mean preteen then? Pal, honey, pinky swear. Dad, I'm twelve. Come on. What's the crises going on at that family household? Like the, it seemed like the dad was distant or something. Like, like they look at like. How do they show he's distant? <laughs> well, Ryan, they do this thing where uh, they pick up a little model of Mercury, and they say <gasps> from what? Like she got like some school assignment. Yeah, she's got like a school project of like you know little planetarium thing where she's got like models of the planets and their distances from the yeah. sun and everything. They say, is this Mercury? Or, like, what is this, Mercury? And they go, yeah. And they I wonder start what laughing. Da- <laughs> they start laughing, like, I wonder what your dad's up to. <laughs> and then you never see the project again. Yeah, and then they go to the dad who's outside at night on a ladder. A ladder with all these, like, ropes and, and stri- cables, uh, cables and shit all like, over it. It's, it's a hazard waiting to happen. happen yeah. There's a problem with him, because mm. he doesn't want to do what? 
He doesn't want to climb up the ladder at night, Ryan. Because he's got vertigo. He's got vertigo, acrophobia. And he also has a problem with the family. That means fear of heights. Thank you. Yes. He has a problem with the family because he's distant from them. He doesn't want to help her out with her project because he's got to get this thing done that we never find out what it is. <laughs> yeah, we really don't. You see, the mise-en-scene of the film is showing he's distant because they're on the porch and he's on the ladder. Yeah. That's mise-en-scene. Even though they're both down to earth. And he's up in the stars. Yes. Because they're behind him. Well, not really that high up the ladder. No, he's like two rungs up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's showing that kind of That's diversity. what I mean. He's also down to earth, but still so distant. He's like a little bit off earth. But will he come down? It's like when you're climbing upstairs. You're still on Earth, but you're a little higher. He doesn't want to help her, but then he says, I will help you after I do this. Does he do the thing? He climbs up a little bit and realizes how shaky the ladder is and realizes, you know what? This really is an accident waiting to happen. I'm just going to get off and remove yeah, the strings. Let's not do this. Let's not do this at night. Yeah. You know, this is something Save it for, for the, the daytime. Day. Yeah. Does, does he get to do it? Oh, no, Ryan. We barely see the house in the daytime. <laughs> we never see it. No, in, in fact, yes. He ditches we it later that night. He goes hard. He goes, okay, so I'm not going to fix the ladder. Hard cut. To them asleep at night. We never see him help her with her well, assignment. He would like, yeah, he like lying with his and hands behind his head. And the wife's asleep and he's just lying there with the moonlight on his face. Like pondering about something. And we see a giant meteor crash into like the lake. And he just casually dismisses it an earthquake. As an yeah. earthquake, as Americans would. Because yeah. they're somewhere in Nevada, right? Like They're in Los Angeles, I think. Oh, because he he's a real quick drive away from, from Vegas. I believe they are in the California area. We can okay. say that for sure. I thought they were in Nevada. I thought they were like near Las Vegas. Look, definitely he he's, walks he's to Las walking Vegas. different he's in difference. He's in walking distance of the Nevada desert. If you wanted to recreate this movie in GTA San Andreas, you can use that map. <laughs> yeah. He hears that, goes, oh, honey, it's an earthquake. But of course, the little girl gets up, their daughter, and she's, she's fully all, dressed at 2 a.m. fully <laughs> dressed at 2 a.m. And she's like, did you hear that? It's like, yes, go to bed. And what does she ask? <laughs> can I go on the internet or can I go online? Can I go online? No, it's 2 a.m. Go to bed. But then and the then- wife... Right? And then the wife. Then the wife is like, oh, come on. You're supposed to, like, be appreciative. Supportive support of her of passions her, of her or passion. She gets it from you, like, you know, being online <laughs> at night. And then the daughter does come back in after they hear some more meteorites. And she comes in and the dad's been called into work. We don't know what his job is. Yeah, that's a but good point. we know that he works 24-7. He works in some garage or something. Some kind sort. of shed with pipes. <laughs> and the daughter comes in and she goes, Dad, Dad, you've got to read this. Points to the other room. We think the computer's there. Yeah. And he goes, no. And we never find out what that was. <laughs> like, was that about the meteorite? Like, was that no, about, right, like... right. It's about the rooftop project that he was going to do oh, oh, in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Dad, Dad, you got to read about this wicked rooftop project that I've got on the go. He goes into work where his friend gave him a really strange phone call. His friend was just like... He's like, Tony? Tony? Tony! And he drives all the way there. The wife's upset with him because she's like, why did you switch days at work if you're going to be on call 24-7? And he just says, it's my job! (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) What kind of fucking garage is open at like 2 o'clock at night? The rooftop projects garage. I gotta go into work. Why did you bother switching to days when you're on call seven nights a week? It's my job, Kate. What do you want me to do? Oh, come on, David. 
and he sees his friend dying. He's foaming at the mouth. Well, the only well, time well, anyone that, foams that, at Ryan, the mouth, might Before I that, Ryan, he goes, he is going to open the door to the office. Oh, yeah. And his friend's hand and just kicks <laughs> him. <laughs> Up until this point, his friend was still standing. Yeah, he was just sitting around for the last and 20 then, minutes. And then when he finally encounters him, he falls on the ground and the and paramedics, paramedics are instantly just come in. Right like, there. Where did you find him? He's like, he was here on the ground when I when I got here. No, he wasn't. He was in the fucking other office standing up, banging on the door. But not, you, not in view from the door. That's all. You're a liar. You're a... Filthy liar! And they also David. set up. They also set up the fact that the wife is unhappy with him because he doesn't go to church. Yes. And this is like us going. Okay, they're slowly easing us into the Christianity of the movie. Like we're gonna see the the trip to church, and there's gonna be a message there, and he's gonna and be like, maybe you know, he'll doubting. find Jesus along the way of this meteor apocalypse, right? Yeah, but unfortunately, this is where shit goes down. Fuck, because he goes outside for some reason, and a meteor just fucking decimates his. Shed and his friend and the paramedics and he just goes Wah! yeah yeah and it drives, hits the ambulance I believe drives away to his home and there's like a full on military on his street and they won't let him near his family at all yeah and, and he and he punches one of them and they've got guns and how is the camera work in this so- well, section Ryan the camera work was impeccably shaky and out of focus <laughs> and was it really dark it was very dark and very cheap I think at the time of watching it I said this is the live action equipment of quality of a Wobot's Christmas, which is really poor. <laughs> it's like the same quality of of that movie, but live action. Yeah, we, we didn't quite, or at least I didn't quite understand what was going on. And I saw some people had machine guns. Machine guns and they had oh, the quarantine sk- symbols. We skipped over something, Ryan. The water. Well, that's important. The water. Because he discovered this before he left the workplace. When he was at his friend's deathbed earlier at the shed. Yes. Uh, he found out the guy drank some water, and he did some um, testing of the water in his shed. <laughs> and he's like, it's poisoned! And he figures out that the whole water of America from this one lake is poison. Definitely of this San Diego area, I guess? Yeah, from yeah. Las Vegas all the way up to LA. Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yes. So oh, yeah. I guess that one lake connects it all, and it's poisoned. And anyone who drinks water will seizure out and die. Yes, it was it was the the meteor that hit that they thought was an earthquake. We know this as well because he gets a phone call from his friend Sam, who works in Las Vegas and doesn't know how to hold a telephone. That the whole entire scene is talking to his friend on the phone. Sam's holding his phone in the mouth, like where you speak into it's like near his nose. Oh, that's so right. Like, yeah, that was Sam. And he's yeah. just flicking through papers, reading his lines off of actual. <laughs> pieces of paper it was actually yeah. glorious we yeah ryan i think you're on the on the mark there he i think he was reading <laughs> he the was script 100% reading. so our lead hero he goes home and they won't let him see his wife and kid who are getting shipped off in vans and he punches one of the guys and runs away he had a car i just want to point this out he had a car we hard cut to him running away into the desert hard cut yeah, again the, to was... him waking up the next morning they having had that fallen d- asleep in the desert 
has it. Yeah, they had that decent shot that you kept calling Aurora Borealis. Yeah, the Aurora Borealis. Aurora Borealis. Aurora Borealis. At this time of year, at this time of day, this time of the country. And little did we know, little did we know that that shot would be foreshadowing to some later nighttime scenes. No, the majority of this film is nighttime scenes. But there are a lot of scenes in this movie where it's so dark that the main characters are basically just black figures. It was a stylistic choice, I reckon. No, it was a cheap choice. He had a car and he runs away into the desert. Falls asleep. Out, out, of, out of frame. Out in the desert. Like, out of yeah. frame. We don't see him fall asleep. We just hard yeah. cut. There's He's a lot up. of cutting to him just waking, waking up. up. <laughs> and we don't know if he passed out or deliberately decided to sleep. He's like, eh, he'll do. Yeah. And then he kind of walks about for a while. He finds, like, a gas station. Mm. And there's, like, a guy with his, conveniently with his radio on, that's giving exposition about the state of emergency Very stuff going on. Very clearly understandable exposition, right? No. <laughs> it was garbled and uh, not like on purpose. Basically just a lot of static exposition. So much static. He quickly checks his pulse, remember? <laughs> Well, that's the first thing he does. He, like, just jams his fingers, right? <laughs> Fucking jams. Okay, well, it wasn't, like, super violent, but that's the first thing he went for. <laughs> he does get a bit violent throughout the movie. He hears our lead female character coughing because she did what? What did she fucking do, Biotech? She... I can't believe she did, she drank the Pepsi. You know, Pepsi. That got contaminated. By the time she got there, the next morning, the Pepsi was contaminated. Because, you know... Yeah. It wasn't a bottle of Pepsi. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, they get contaminated Pepsi. Yeah. I think it was the ice, yeah? It's got to be yeah. the ice. It, it wasn't a bottle of Pepsi. It was like a cup that you get like at a fast food restaurant. And you were stuck on that for a very long time trying to figure out if that was a pro or anti... I brought it up at one Pepsi. point. You were like... I, I was definitely wondering if it was like a sponsor or something, but no, it just seemed pretty random, and we don't see any other sodas, as they called it. No, the film. sodas and orange juice and no other drinks exist other than Pepsi mm. and water yeah. bottles. R- Ryan, your thought was that because it was a cup, there was might have been ice? Yeah. Or maybe it's because, like, in fast food restaurants, they're, like, watered down a bit? Yeah. Who knows? But it was, like, you know, less than 24 hours after the meeting. But does he save her? Of course he does, Ryan. How does he save her? Well... Look, Ryan, there's a thing in life called CPR where you have to blow into their mouth and get the breath into the lungs and then do the pump part. Did he inject it with anything? Yes, he did. He did. Inject it with some random needle he had. Yeah, he has needles, Ryan. (laughs) At his shed. He has needles. needles. He has needles and flasks, we should say. Yes, from his shed. Yes, so he used one of his needles there. Then he thought, CPR? Oh, that's where you blow into the mouth, right? Just blow into nothing else. So he just, like, got right onto her mouth, blew in there, put his ear to her, like, throat or mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then did that two more times. And then she came too. And she was fine. And when Ryan and I were saying, you have to pump, we were stupid because you don't have to pump. I specifically stated there would have been a first aid officer on set, because there usually is. They could have stepped up and said, no, CPR works like this. But they chose not to. And I kind of have to thank them on a level, because that whole scene made me fucking laugh my ass. Off. She didn't become fully conscious yet, but she she showed signs of life. So that he carried her into her jeep. And then I don't want to overstate this. This is my personal opinion. I don't know what Bartek's opinion of this is, but we get up to a car driving sequence between the two of them, <laughs> which is I think the best part of the entire movie. 
in my opinion, is the best part of the movie. Yes, because like, you were you were talking was, down to the film. Ryan. This was five to ten minutes of gloriousness of stupidity. Bartek, <laughs> could you please describe some of the events of the car drive between the two of them? We go from one abrupt cut to another, and we eventually see our two leads in a car. They're driving, and they both got their seatbelts on, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine, right? No problems there? Well, there is a problem with her seatbelt. Oh, yeah, this passed out lady who clearly had seatbelt put on for her? She's passed out, and she has a seatbelt put on her, and... I I immediately started yelling at the screen because the seatbelt was what around... Was, what was wrong? It was around her throat. <gasps> and she's unconscious. And he put it around her throat. And and we were just like, dude, fix the seatbelt. Fix that seatbelt. She's unconscious. Yeah. For those fix of the seatbelt. For those of you that have worn seatbelts before... You don't put them on your neck. You don't put them on your neck. You put them like in front of your chest. Yeah. That, you put them where they are supposed to go. Yeah. Not on the neck. Where they naturally fall, in fact. But Bartek, was that an oversight on the filmmaker's part? Well, Ryan, we certainly thought <laughs> so. I was blaming the film. I'm like, come on! I screamed, fuck off, so many times at that. But then after a little bit of communication with a radio or something, he looked at her and he realised... She's choking. She's choking. And the first thing he does is put it down. Like he could have done that he, ages yeah, ago. Yeah, he, he realised what he'd done. And then she wakes up. She wakes up. She tells us our name, but the audio's so bad that we couldn't tell what it yeah, was. Well, she tried She tried leaving the car immediately. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she immediately wakes up and she thinks that this is some kind of kidnapper rapist and tries to jump out of the car, the moving car. Without removing a seatbelt, I think? Or does she? Well, no. It's, no, of course not. Why would she do that? <laughs> because she wants to escape? She just woke it up. She's really happy. <laughs> She's well, so no, happy she, throughout we, the We find out that she actually just wants to throw up, but not in the car. You know, she's, she asks him to pull over. The lighting outside becomes really bright. So we can't tell he's pulled over because it looks like he's still driving. We yeah. thought she's just going to jump out. Yeah, we thought that, like, she got impatient. It's like, no, I got to get out right now. It's like, no, 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 the car's still moving. But then we realize, oh, the car stopped. It it did stop. <laughs> she vomits and it's like an ADR vomit. Like, yeah. And then after she stops vomiting, she's really happy. <laughs> You okay? Oh, yeah. You're okay. You're okay. Come on. Yeah. You okay? Yeah. Hi, I'm Lynn. I'm David. She's so happy. <laughs> She's so and happy. she has this one line of dialogue that I interpreted one way and I think you interpreted another. Where she talks about her herself, right? Yeah. Where she goes like, just my luck. He goes, we're going to Las Vegas. You ever been there before? Never been there before, but I have an ex-boyfriend that's there. Huh, to think about it, I have an ex-dog, an ex-sister, an ex-mom, an ex-house. Huh, that's the kind of thing that happens when the world ends. Yeah. And you thought that she was just like, like, like cut estranged, off, estranged like, from yeah, all that. Put, I thought like she had already a good backstory. I thought she assumed the world has already ended from the zero destruction she has personally witnessed. Yeah, I thought the ex was going to turn up. I thought he was going to be but... one of the gang members, and she's like, "Oh no, it's Billy." <laughs> Put down the gun! No, but... Well, I moved on from that, I guess, but... Then yeah, there was a line of dialogue after that. Oh. That was so incredible. You had to rewind it. We had to rewind because it because I didn't understand I, what she meant. Yeah, I sort of missed what she said, but you were laughing and you had to show me. And we rewind it because she's talking about vomiting. Now, Ryan, we should say, 
We've already mentioned it a few times, and it happens throughout the film. There are some hard cuts in this film. Have we said it a few times? We have, yes. I can't wait to do the editing where I just do a hard cut of me saying hard cut, hard cut, <laughs> hard cut. Hard cut. Hard cut. Hard cut again. Hard cut. Hard cut. Then hard cut to them. Hard cut. From my perspective, I didn't realize that there was a cut, which is yeah. what confused me. Yeah. Because she was telling us a story, but it was like the end of the story. She was eventually, she was telling us about the one time she went to Disneyland mm. and she got motion sickness. She's never felt any kind of sickness like that until now, right? She felt motion sickness from this ride. Hard cut. And it's like her telling the end of that story, but it's actually the same story, but the cutting, the editing makes it seem like a while later. And she's like, yeah, and crazy. And her delivery, it's very obviously like the start of a line. It's not like, and then what happened was Ryan. It was like, and then what happened, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. And the line was, it was like, wasn't it something like I threw up so much that Mickey wouldn't hug me or something? That's my life. And that's my life in a nutshell. That's my life in a nutshell. She's like, I threw up and I threw up all over myself and Mickey wouldn't even hug me. That's my life. It was such a weird cut that I thought that was a beginning, like an ending of a different story. So I'm like, who the fuck is Mickey? You You literally said that you thought a scene was cut out. I thought a scene was directly removed and that was the remainder of that one scene. I will say her acting throughout most of the film was was very much whenever there's a line or an action she has to do, she stops what she was doing, does the line or the action, then does the next line or action. So it's like interrupted by cough, it would be, and then I (coughs) went over to the thing. Yeah. yeah, it was like that. She was fucking terrible, wasn't she? <laughs> she was she a delight a, to have around. She had a weird face. She was in a singlet throughout the whole movie. She wasn't busty, so it wasn't like even that was the draw. Yeah. Like, as a casting director from Faith Films, I could understand why they wouldn't cast her for sexuality reasons, right? Being like, we've got to have a chick with a nice pair of tits to go in this t-shirt or singlet right but i also thought they would get someone who could act yeah because the main guy in this isn't terrible terrible he's nah. just terrible <laughs> she's terrible terrible like she drags this whole film down with her kicking and screaming every pretty much 99 percent of the bad things in this movie are directly related to her terrible acting Everyone else gets dragged. She's a black hole in this film and sucks any talent down into her and crushes it. But she's, she kind of comes across as a bit innocent, so you kind of want to oh, pat yeah. her on the head and say, like, oh, you're trying, oh, but yeah, she's, she's you're not doing well. She's trying so hard, but she's terrible. <laughs> she's awful. I haven't felt like this since I got motion sickness on the Matterhorn at Disneyland. So, anyway, uh puked all over my shirt and Mickey wouldn't hug me. <laughs> Which is really the story of my life when I think about it. Kate! Allison! David, what are we doing? Allison! What are we looking for? Oh, this must be the uh, department's okay customer. Sure, the department emergency. Federal Water FEMA? Quality Agency. 194. It's right there. You are so selfish. Selfish? I've thought about nothing but my wife and daughter for days now. I've been risking my life for them. And I'm risking my life for you. I 
And then they, yeah, they're driving around and they're just having these weird conversations with each other in the car. And then, oh no, a bunch of meteors start <laughs> falling on him out of nowhere. Very poorly animated meteors, might I add. Yep. Very bad. So at, at this point, they're heading towards Las Vegas. Yeah, because his friend Sam yeah, the, might have an antidote reader. for yeah. the water toxicity. Yeah, Sam thing. was the script reader, right? He was the guy reading the script and yeah. holding the phone to his nose yeah. and talking. And, and they have to go to Las Vegas to his building to find uh, him and get the antidote so he can save uh, his daughter mm. because last time he heard about the daughter on the phone was she might have drunk in the water. And this disease, virus, infection, whatever, doesn't instantly hit. It, mm. Like, it does in, in waves, but doesn't instantly kill kill you, unless you're his friend, Tony, from earlier. So they're driving to Las Vegas, mm. but Bartek, yeah, is yeah. Las Vegas, uh, is it okay? Ryan, it's it's not okay. This, this, this film is showing that none of the places they go to are okay. They're the opposite of okay. Yeah, it's not good. Good would be something like if you were to logically insert scenes of a place called CDC throughout the film so that it makes sense. Is it the kind of film in which their car breaks down for no reason? Yeah. And they have to walk in the desert? Yeah, of course. In slow motion? Sometimes it's in normal and motion. And then he... um, Then they cut to them having a weird delusional sequence in which a bunch of children out of focus... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> laughing that at him. That is the most experimental scene in the film. <laughs> laughing at him and passing them bottles of water and hard cut to them waking up again, waking up and having <laughs> bottles of water being like, where did these come from? And they know it's okay because they know... It's bottled. Yeah. It's bottled water. And then, is this that movie where they see Las Vegas getting fucking bombarded by meteors and they have him fall to his knees and cry? Yes. And she's indifferent? What I was alluding to earlier, Ryan, was occasionally throughout the film it cuts to this... The centers for something, something. It's called the CDC. Yeah, it was um, disease control. But as we are, we are trying to describe the movie as it happens, like a play by play. But I cannot, for the life of me, remember when it cuts to this. It randomly cuts to at some point. Two older men in suits arguing with each other about the ethics of curing these people who already got the disease in them, the infection, or focusing the efforts on saving whole cities of people, right? And one guy who's the hero of the story is saying, no, we're going to save these 5,000 people over these, you know, million of people. And I just couldn't take him seriously because he's wearing, like, a full business outfit, but his shirt is untucked throughout that whole scene. Yeah, and it's not like he's, like, full-on frazzled and stressed because he's working so hard. No, he's just like, I don't have a tuck shirt. And I was saying, tuck in that shirt. I want to take you seriously. Then... And then the filmmaker said, Ryan, I heard you about the, 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 the seatbelt yeah. earlier. I've already got you on this, this yeah. shirt when incident. He, when he goes, he goes into the next room. When he goes into the room with his subordinates, that's he's when he's... tucking sh- in his shirt. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, they've got this. They've got this in the back. There was little moments like that where, where I'm critiquing it. And then it goes, no, no, no. We've, we've thought about this. We know you are sitting there being a smartass. We're going to punish you for your smart-ass ways. And yeah. I go, oh, you got me. Yeah, throughout the film, it cuts back to the CDC and you get a lot of exposition there. Yes, you um, do. You learn a so few things. So much exposition. Like, I-, I know that you definitely cut to them once before they get to Vegas because they mention that there are a lot of armed gangs and operating. They, and during... that's the big thing. There's armed gangs because people are becoming Mad Max. Yeah. And they go through the streets. They avoid the armed gangs until they get to Sam's building 
Sam okay? Well, Ryan, he's lying on the floor, not moving. So, <laughs> and, and they don't check his pulse. And, and before you see Sam lying down on the floor, not moving, in the room before that, there is an armed gang member aiming a gun at a poor scientist-looking woman. But Sam's not okay. Well, we never find out, Ryan, because no Does one... Does he check his pulse? Well, Ryan, there's an armed gang member. There's no time. No, there's no time. An armed gang member who, by the way... Has a mission. <laughs> he has a mission, and he's... He's under... He's very understanding of our main hero blundering in saying, Hey, I just need these scientific pieces of equipment. <laughs> and the guy with the gun screaming goes, Okay, just just go over there and you do what you do. And then you peacefully leave and leave me to threatening this woman with a gun. And might I add, our hero is really dumb because all he has is needles, right? Yep. The most close range weapon you could use. Yeah. And he gives it to our dumb woman who has already proven herself to be dumb. And ineffective in combat because she is infected with this water that's still affecting her. So she could fuck up and cough herself into getting shot. Our guy's getting the medicine and the thug with the guns turned around and we have a pleasant yeah. little the, interaction. The, yeah, the thug is paying attention to David just to make sure he's not doing anything seedy, but he's not paying attention to the other two hostages. And the other two hostages, the scientist and uh, Lynn. Uh, Lynn, they have a pleasant little interaction, <laughs> don't they, Bartow? It's very cute. <laughs> so she pulls out a needle. I think David tells her. Yeah, to David's do this. like, pull out the needle, yeah. Lynn. So she's holding the needle and she and the scientist lady are looking at each other. She. She motions to the needle, holds it like horizontally, and with her other hand, I guess she's like demonstrates, demonstrates like you know, she does like a gentle jabbing motion towards the hand and like looks at the scientist, like, do you understand what I'm saying? And she pauses for a moment, <laughs> and she gets it a little later. She's like, oh, she like, she like, no, it's not like a realized thing. It's just kind of like a now I'm nodding kind of thing. Yes, yeah, she was a very bad actress. You're right, <laughs> and of course they throw the needle. To yeah, the yeah, scientist she, she lady because it... she's nearest to the guy. Yep. And does the scientist lady succeed? Ryan, she just like jabs her arm right into the guy's thigh. Yeah, and does he fall down instantly? Ryan, he falls down instantly, falls to the left, holds his hand back so the gun can fall, then rams the hand right in front of him and passes out. Just before they leave the building, more armed gang members come in. Oh, and the woman from the scientist gives them the cure, but it's untested. It could be fatal. He, yeah, that's right. They get locked in because they see a bunch of armed gang members coming in. They go through a vent, which he punched open but, but, but before that they have the cartoon logic of they run into a room that's clearly down a narrow corridor but because the gang members aren't in frame they don't realize that they've gone into they the punch room. the vent they go up but he can't jump off the building because he's got vertigo yes his acrophobia so he goes back in they get shot a few times but people miss and then they run out into the dirty alleyway but it's okay because later in the film he gets over the the he does, heights right because he goes mountain climbing and they never make a big deal about his vertigo in that scene at all. It's not like he's like, oh, mountain climbing, not my yeah. thing. Rule of threes. The third time, you don't fix it, you just don't acknowledge it. Yeah, that's how that's how these films work. And then <laughs> they escape into the dirty alleyway in which two legendary characters fucking rock up. Beavis and Butthead of the armed gang. One has like a sawn-off shotgun and the other one has nothing. And they're just like stumbling into the alleyway. Our chick's dying, refusing to take the cure yeah, because she's, she's an idiot. She's passed out and cardboard has been placed over her. Our lead hero just puts fucking pieces of cardboard over her, shoddily, runs away to leave her be discovered by Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, the lo I guess the logic being like, oh, she's dead, but then she re they realize she's alive, but she's clearly not going to do anything, so they leave her alone. 
no, they don't get the chance because they're going to do something, but he, uh, our hero bangs on a car that's nearby to frighten them because who knows what they're going to do. They could be rapists. They could be murderers, cannibals. At this point, who All knows? we know is that they're armed gang members. And then two real legends rock up to the fight. Yep. A nice little black car does a turn into this alleyway and you just see these two bad, bold motherfuckers coming. Are they, by any chance, investigators from a bureau that's on the federal level? Yes. Yes, they are. They claim to be FBI agents, but they're all like, drop your weapons to the dumb guys. They don't, of course. They run away and then they're never seen again, I we believe. We never see them again. Our two heroes give themselves up to the FBI and show them this truck they found full of water. And then they go on this legendary trip with the FBI where the black guy, FBI agent, who who's always shouting his lines of dialogue. He was the one shouting, speak. you know, put get down, drop your weapons. He doesn't speak ever hand. again. He doesn't speak after they, you know, join forces. <laughs> So the logic the logic that I came up with when he was yelling was, I hope he yells all his lines. And by virtue of the fact that he never has any more lines, <laughs> he did yell all his lines. I like the other one, the bold white one. Yeah, they were both bold. <laughs> they were both very similar looking, just different skin colours, really. And then uh, the other one, he turns to them and he's like, what's in that bag of goodies? <laughs> he says a line in dialogue. <laughs> That's so unintelligible. I don't know what he said. Other than at the end of it, he said, that's my job. But to me, it was something like, what was it? It was something that sounded like, like my, my dad was a lemon tree. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded like my dad was a lemon tree. But you heard it like that. I heard it more like, oh, well, you know, I know my dad was a lemon tracker. And we know this. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck he's saying to me. We didn't have subtitles because the DVD didn't have subtitles, didn't unfortunately. Didn't allow any lemon tracker, lemon tree subtitles. All right, so you want to tell me about your, um, your goodie bag back here? My dad's a lemon tractors? Yeah, I took a beat. It's what I do. My dad's a lemon tractors? 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 And then a bunch of people on quad bikes drive them off the road. I, I guess they might have been Beavis and Butthead's friends? Yeah, but here's the weird part. They're like, oh no, they know about the water. They shoot these guys off the road and then don't do anything to them. Like, they shoot the FBI guy, but we never get to see... They kill both the FBI guys, but we never see them take the water. So we don't even know if they were, they were a separate thing or whatever. And the, before our white FBI guy dies, he says two pieces, three pieces of important information. He says there's a... Me, the comet is going to land on Hollywood in three days. Hmm. He says, I have a son there. And there's only one gun. And he keeps that gun. This is jumping ahead a bit, Ryan, but was his son your favorite character? Oh, we never saw his son. <laughs> we never saw his son. It would have been nice if his son was in like the groups of people that they met later, but he wasn't there. Yes. He, he, it wouldn't be great if you saw like a little fat, bald guy and he's like, <laughs> my dad. He's an FBI agent. And they're like, oh, he met him. He's dead. <laughs> no. Do we actually see him die? Yes, we saw him get shot. He's dead. Confirmed kill. I remember. He's dead. Okay, so this film, beat by beat, is very much... They go to a place, the place gets destroyed. They go with people, they get killed. They go to a place, the place gets destroyed. They go with people, they get killed. They go to a place, 
places get destroyed. It's just that over and over again. But there's little moments like he's got a bottle of water and he's telling her she's got to drink it. And he just like smacks her with the water bottle. <laughs> he just, like, jams like, it into her chest. Just like, Lord, yeah. just fucking take the bottle. Like, yeah. no swearing because it's a Christian movie. The real gist is like, they just kind of walk about and do nothing. There's a lot and of And people die. Yeah. And really, after the FBI agent... There's nothing that happens for a very long time. They they walk about. They go to they, they to, go to a riot. They town? go to a town that's rioting. I think it's a part of L.A. They see a bunch of people running around, killing each other, soldiers. They find out where the CDC building is. It's destroyed. And they're like, no, my wife and kid are dead. Might as well give up. And they both start giving up. She starts dying. They're laying on this piece of graffitied wall. They they have an argument for no reason because drama. And then a meteor happens. Oh, yeah, meteors happen in and out of the movie for no rhyme or reason. Yeah, even though they all came from the same source, they, they're very spread out. Oh, did we mention their only effect? Hollywood and uh, Las Vegas and yeah. nowhere else. As far as we're aware, it's just that San Diego area. It's that San Diego area. Uh, I was like, China must be fucking wrapped during this. Be like, <laughs> they gave some missiles, so they clearly invested in some. Unless form. they made sure to fire those missiles. And are you saying pic- it was a Chinese meteorite? No, I'm saying <laughs> literally everyone else in the world fired their missiles wrong just to fuck over <laughs> America. And they giggling. Wouldn't that be great? They start to die. Like they just sit there and give up. This movie that's made by faith films is very cynical like yeah. pe- this is pretty much like anyone with any morality gets killed there's a lot of despair like none of the bad guys die it's all the good guys the fbi agents were good guys dead guy working on the cure that's sam dead but like cdc people dead you know but then like then thugs with guns eh, knocked out well, the main CDC people who... They have oh, to give exposition throughout the whole film, so they yeah, can't the die. Uh, you know, like, the, 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 the thugs ran away. Like, they never get any punishment, these thugs. And I thought for the Christian-agended film, which it still is, it's just very, very light, it really is bleak as fuck. But thankfully, I believe at the end of this scene where they're in the town we that's writing, we meet... Our favourite character. A character. We meet... A character out of focus in the background with a trolley. And Ryan says, I hope this is a sassy black lady. And then focus snapped in. And it was a sassy black lady. <laughs> she's got a trolley. She's got gray hair. And she's like, what you do doing? You know you shouldn't be out after curfew. You, your ass will get shot. And I'm just like, thank you. Thank you. We were both like, thank you, movie. And Ryan, they, they, she takes them to a building. And the building is... A church. A church. Bartek, you you even said, oh my god, I feel like we should be holding hands right now with where this film is going, because it was such a joy ride. We were, get, we were getting flashbacks of the a robot Robots from Chris- a Wobots Christmas. Yeah, we are going to flashbacks of the Wobots from Wobots Christmas. We are going to see Potato Jesus again. We are going to see all this amazing Christian stuff. But no, it's just like, yeah, we're here at a church. I'm a sassy black lady and I believe in Jesus. But she never says, no one really says Jesus. They don't say God the biblical characters. There's, but like, you know, the scene happens and then it cuts to like night and he's praying and then she comes up to him like, this is the scene. This yeah, is the scene. Yeah, he's going to pray to God, and then she's going to be like... And she and she starts it. She starts it off. 
she starts this amazing story about like, I used to be a young, proud black woman who was all caring for herself and her own because no one else would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David was talking about how like, oh, I'm looking for my family. And he's like, where's your family? And I think I said like, oh, she's going to say that this is her family. All the people that are like being refugees in the church. Word for word. She said what you said. And that was the beginning point of our realisation that Bartek wrote this movie because <laughs> Bartek, three or four times after that, guessed things verbatim. And it was amazing. Bartek wrote the film. I'm not saying, you know, Bartek secretly well, putting Ryan, his films the screen, in salvos. But the back says that the screenplay is by Brian Brinkman. Are you Brian Brinkman? Well, I had to think of an alliterative name, you know. She gives a, like, legendary speech about fate, spirituality, but she never says anything specific, and... She ends it with, with and then I met someone. And then she gets up! Oh, yes! Leaves. I predicted that, that she'd just, like, <laughs> end and walk away. But you said it in a way where you're like, but that won't be really it, and I just, like, no, that's the scene, because it holds on it for, like, a minute? Yeah. And then it fades to black so slowly, and we were just like, no! Oh, say it! I actually said she's gonna walk up. She's gonna start lighting candles. It's gonna be the statue of Jesus, and she's like, <laughs> "Yeah, we, we thought she was like gonna show like statue of Jesus, and it's like, oh, that's the man she met." But really, it was a scene in which she's like, "I don't need to say it. You know who it is. Hmm. We're in a church." Next morning, they wake up. Uh, a girl's having a seizure in the church. And he has the antidote, so he gives her the antidote, but he gives her, okay, this could kill your daughter, are you okay with this? And she's like, yeah, my name's Madeline. And he goes, okay, I'm going to do this. Turns to the sassy black lady, who we find out now is a pastor. Never mention that, like, you just assume, okay. He goes, pastor, you praying? And she goes, you know I am, and is already praying. And by the way, he's smiling throughout this scene for some reason. <laughs> he's like, your daughter's going to die. You know she's going to die, right? He's smiling. <laughs> and he shoves the fucking formula down her mouth. She doesn't want it. Remember, she's like, no. He's like, do you want to die? That's what I'm saying. Do you want to die, lady? Yeah, like, I, thought, I thought she was, like, you know, delirious or something and couldn't hear, but. Drinks yeah. it, saves her life. And it works. It doesn't, it doesn't, so he knows it will work, you know. And then everyone gets out of the church and they're all going into vans to be put off to safety. But, you know, our leads and sassy black woman decide to stay. She's going to look after the other people in the church. A meteor crashes and she gives the line, oh, Jesus, help me. Does Jesus help her? That would require Jesus to be a character in the film. No, that's right, because this is a very cynical movie as we listed. Because she runs into the church to save everyone else. Meteor fucking decimates that church, well, but not leads, fully, because yeah. our leads go, oh, we'll help her, decimates the top part of the church, and then they go, eh, and run away, and then it decimates the whole church with a second meteor, destroyed our, our favorite character, sassy black lady, dead, because she was the only character in the world that was a proud Christian woman who asked for Jesus's guidance. And I, he gave it to her. He gave it to her so hard with there was the a meteorite. No, there was a note on that meteorite. It was like, you'll meet me soon. <laughs> I just don't know what to make of that. Like, this is made by Faith Faith Films, who I know nothing about. But the title of Faith Films indicates it's going to be a religious film. And all the stuff we mentioned, and all the indications along the way of Jesus and, and, and religious things, I, I don't know what to take away from them killing 
the mouthpiece of religion in the movie so cynically. It's not like she was an evil person. She was a very good person. They just kill her. And it's not ever thought, it's never like, oh, she was brave. or They never think about it. It's like, eh, she's dead. And so all these people... She gave us shelter. Think about it. How many religious movies actually have the goal to destroy the house of God? That's like actually. That's usually like the 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 plot point. The flower in the graveyard or something. Not the graveyard, but the flower in like the destroyed town. Yeah, and if they do, it will be the center plot point. Like in most movies where church gets destroyed, it's a big plot point. Like I do believe in the newest God's Not Dead movie. For some reason, I know this. The church gets destroyed and it becomes a whole courtroom drama thing about that. And it's just like... At most, the church gets a little damaged, but despite the damage, it stays It stays. Strong. It's strong. It's strong. Or if it gets destroyed, it says something about the people who did it. Yeah. And the community. But no, they just fucking plow on through. She has a few more coughing fits and drinks water. And she goes, no, you drink water because you don't drink it. And he's like, oh, okay, I will. And you're like, oh, he does. And I kind of just wander about a bit more. It kind of really goes in a lull because she's gotten the sassy black lady and any kind of hope for forceful Christian message. I mean, I'll be honest, I did say to Bartek, oh, I can't wait for this film to gut punch us at the end with a ham-fisted message about Jesus. And it never happened. Oh, they find out that there is another quarantine area that's oh, yes, near a yes. ravine. Northeast mountains of LA or something. And... Also, forgot to mention this, are lead heroes having premonitions throughout the movie that lead to nothing? Oh yeah, there's like dream sequences. Of his daughter near a ravine with the trees, but we never see those images when he actually, spoiler alert, finds his daughter. We We never see those trees, that tree, we We never see that ravine. We see bushes that look like them, but they're not focused on and they don't look exactly like them. And And we never see the ravine. So what was that all about? But but he goes off to with our lead heroine to find them. So this part of the film, she's clearly walking with much more difficulty than usual. And there's a part where, you know, she actually has to lie down and he's going to, like, scout ahead. But her acting at this point is still like... I'm going to be fine! Yeah, I'm just going to lie down, you go, we'll come back. And it's like, oh, okay, based on your acting, we know you're going to be fine. Yes. So he goes ahead, has a look around, then he comes back to brief her... And now her acting's a bit more serious. So thought, what does that I mean? I thought she was going to be dead when yeah. he came back. But she was like getting up and walking around. And we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, slouching a little. She's fine. She's fine. But was she? Now nah, she dies in a few minutes. But does she try to do something sinful beforehand? Ryan, I want to remind you and the audience that David is a married man with a daughter in a film by Faith Films. So... She tries to kiss him, yeah? Knowing that he's a married man. Mm -hmm. And he says no. It looks like he almost does it, but he says no. And does God punish her? Look, I don't know if it's God, because this film's really not telling us if God exists or not. This film doesn't believe in God. Faith Films, you've got to tell us if God exists or not, because then we need to find out who it is that killed her. And she dies. She dies. But she refuses to drink the remaining antidote, because it needs to be for his daughter. And she dies... And he puts his shirt on her. He walks on. He has to face his fear and climb a mountain. And at no point does he ever show any fear or even think of it as something to be afraid of with his vertigo because they forgot about that. In fact, I forgot about it until we had to start recording it. I actually didn't think about how they did it. Me neither. I I was making the joke about how after the second time on the rooftop, it never happens again. And you're right. But then you pointed out that scene. I'm like, oh yeah, they just skipped over it. 
I guess I guess her death made him strong. Now, before we get to the climactic ending in which he finds his family, let's take a trip to the CDC, yes. shall we? Th- throughout There's the film, a it cuts of characters there that are worth mentioning. Yeah, it, throughout the f- this isn't fully cr- like his story is chronological, but throughout the f- film. They cut to the CDC, which is multiple centers of something. Um, And there's plot happening there, which gives exposition, but it doesn't really directly impact him until... In fact, does it impact him at any point? I I said until. The main character. Yeah, it impacts him to the end. At the end, when the helicopter comes and saves him. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, The CDC are basically having an internal conflict, you know. Um, Our hero CDC guy got kicked out, but he's still operating. He's still on the phone to the Asian woman in the office. But Bartek, is there uh, there more conflict going on between other characters in the CDC? Well, Ryan, when the person that... uh, Takes over. That Shirt Tucker was arguing with earlier in the film takes over and is now the one in charge of the room, you need to have a figure to be the one that constantly argues with him. <laughs> Your favourite character, I think. Outside of Sassy Black Lady. Yes. Helium Boy, <laughs> we call him. He's a guy, his lines are completely normal, he looks just <laughs> <Somewhat> fine. <normal. laughs> you wouldn't laugh if you looked at him, but his voice is what... His lines, of di- his lines of dialogue are basically like, this is wrong, we need to save the people. But how does he sound, Vartek? Look, we, we mentioned Helium, and you're probably imagining that he sounds like Vern Troyer. It's very much a voice a little bit like this, and he's saying very serious lines. But he doesn't look like a dweeb. He doesn't look like a dweeb. In fact, he looks like he could be a surfer dude if he you know, changed his clothes. But what he's saying is so, like, he's yelling and being assertive, and hearing, like, someone be like, you can't! Like, just... You can't do this. This is not the way that we operate. It was laughable. We laughed. We laughed so hard. There was one. I think like his second last line in the film was this like three sentence long. He had like spiel. a monologue basically, yeah. a one sided conversation <laughs> monologue in which he was all like, "You can't do this. This is my job. You can't and we're do gonna this save is the my job. And it was so great. Effective as of now, we are no longer devoting resources to quarantine detainees. We still have a group at Singing Springs. You're telling us to just leave them? Stranded? They've been waiting for an evac team like everybody else. What about their support staff? They're government employees! People are gonna die no matter what we do! And, uh, yeah, CDC do their things. The Asian lady is internally working with the other guy, and they organize a helicopter to save them. And at the end of the movie, with CDC in the office, the bad guy goes, We can't do anything! We've got no plans. And then she turns around and goes, yes, we do. And then hard cut to our family finding each other in the desert. Well, be- before they find each other, mountains, he, gets to the- he climbs the top of the cliff and he meets like four people walking in a line. <laughs> and he has a single line of dialogue with each one of them as they walk past him. Have you seen this? I don't know. Have you seen this? No. And then old, old lady. He's like, have you seen a woman and a little girl? And she just goes... There's two people over there. And then he runs up there. And and she doesn't stop walking, so she can't really... ask her something else. Because she said it one line. Can I just say something about the shots? We've talked about they're cheap and weak and whatever. Lots of Dutch angles, lots of stuff like that. But in film, in a moment like this, in which he finally finds his wife. Now, this doesn't have to apply to everything. I think I know what you're going to say, yeah. Usually when you introduce a character, and usually when you have a reuni- reuniting scene, the shot is, I don't know, majestic. You start off a little bit vague, like, can it be? Is yeah. that And then her? you have some real great shot, but it was kind of just like, 
He's in the he's in the front, foreground, he's yeah. In the, and then she's just like blurry in the background as a figure. And and she just kind of runs up to him like in one shot is just like the whole sh- minute long shot of just having like David, 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 and he's like, oh my god, it's you. And then she runs up to him and she's like, I thought it was over there. It is like so lackluster. Anticlimactic, yeah. And then they run up to the daughter again. Shots like where, where's Allison's? Like this she's way, she's just laying down. And she's badly acting convulsions. She's just like, If you showed a shot of her lying down out of context, you'd think that she was like sleeping. Yeah, you wake she, her up. she partied too hard. <laughs> <laughs> and then, what does he do? Because our heroine didn't drink the antidote because she was a good lady and knew that the daughter would need it. He just fucking bongs it down her throat. Most of it lands on her shirt because throughout the whole movie, he has this antidote uncapped. And yeah, he just this is the flask. Yeah. threatens people with it. Like, drink it! And he spills it all the time. So by the time the movie really would end, <laughs> I think he would that, have, like, yeah. none of it left. The first time we saw it, like, he was going to give it to the girl and she, like, no. shook it and, like, some of it spilled out. <laughs> and like, no, that's important. That's actually critical. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, he, 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 gives, he it gives it to it her. Daughter. It seems like she's dead, but then she does that thing where she shakes and is like, oh, you're alive. A helicopter comes and saves just those three. The CDC people say, we did it. We saved them all. We see them. the helicopter to save those three people. Before we see the helicopter, there's a scene of despair where all the comets are now like finally oh, yeah, landing. Yeah, the comet landed, nuclear destroyed. Like, and like they're a afraid. Wave. They're just looking left and right. They don't know what to do. Then they get... do the three-way hug. Yeah, they do the three-way hug and a helicopter. Oh my god, we're saved! Lots of shots of them hugging. Slow motion fading to black. CDC going, we did it, we saved them! Just more shots of them hugging. Fade to black credits. (laughs) (laughs) We got them! And we're getting them out of there! stated what year this film came out yep uh as always one of us knows what year and the other doesn't and has to kind of guess i'm the one who knows can i ask you before we do this what you thought i i made sure i made sure to make a prediction before i check and i was look my my thoughts were definitely in the 2000s Not sure exactly when I'm, but we did see like throughout the film we were. I made comments of like things to consider when we make the guess. Like you point out Nokia phones. Yeah. I said, oh, when we see the president, that'll give the, us an the idea. The desktop computers. The desktop big. computers, but they're also laptops. Yeah, um, the cars so, and shit. So I w- and there was a lot of things to consider. I I stuck to the Nokia idea, and I yep. thought I'm gonna guess 2000 and. I was going to say four, but I'm like, 2005. And then, Ryan, you said... I guess 2009. Why did I guess that? I just looked at the camera quality. I thought cheaper movies in two, in the early to mid-2000s, the camera quality wouldn't have been as crisp digital as it is in this film. Like, like the, the quality of the filmmaking is poor. 
Yes, it is. But this has a good digital, like, not good digital, but it has a crisp digital camera image. Like, things are in focus. Things don't look grainy and poor. It's just the, you know, the other problems, like lighting, sets, camera angles, framing, direction, acting, costumes, special effects that bring it down. Like, if you use that camera and you had good lighting and actual good blocking and, and cinematography... It could be a possible B-grade film, but this... So that's why I said 2009. I just looked at the quality of the image and went, nah, it doesn't seem like early 2000s, early to mid-2000s to me. It seems like the later end for cheaper filmmaking. Because as we move on, well, man, you can you can make a, a whole feature film on your iPhone or on your phone. So yeah, this was the era in which I was beginning again because, you know, in the, in the 90s, you had that with VHS stuff, yeah, right? Definitely so. in 2011, when I was in year 12, I did a media class and one of the guys who made a film made it entirely on his phone and it looked really good. So, Valtech, stop blue-balling us. Yep. What year did Meteor Apocalypse come out? So, obviously, when you see the year on, like, boxes or in credits, you got to imagine, like, it was made the year before and this is the yep. year it was released. The year that the credits said and ob- was... 2010, which means that if it was a year prior that it was made, Ryan was on the fucking ball. Yes! Jesus, Jesus, help us! Would I recommend this film to watch? And what's my actual proper constructed thoughts on it? Well... It's kind of hard to say because I had a lot of expectations on the film. I, the the was, hype was real. The with hype Ryan. was real for me. Like it was very high. And having now watched the film, I would say no on recommending to watch it. It's just not funny enough. It has little moments like the woman spills the water out of her bottle and she tries to catch the water. Like bad acting. The humor comes from the terrible acting. But no other things. Like when it comes to good bad movies or movies that are bad with funny moments that are worth recommending. Like on this show, I I, I said, you know, check out A Robot's Christmas or check out Mr. Bones, or check out this, or this, or this, or, you know, like... Check out these, it's going to be a fun ride. Yeah, there's certain things that that you have to go, okay, this qualifies it, this qualifies it, and this movie's just a bit too boring. I was laughing, sure, at points, but it's because I had the expectations for laughter, and that's not really always the way to go. Like, when you watch something like The Room, and you know it's going to be good, bad... You do have that expectation, but then it delivers times 10. Yeah. And makes and it is funny. And same with Troll 2 and same with any Neil Breen movie and stuff yeah. like that. If, if you were to make, like, a best of for, like, the laughter moments of this film, you'd watch it, it would be over, and you'd say, oh, yeah, that was all right. I, you wouldn't then say, I should, I should check out the rest of the film to get context for it and yeah. maybe see what you missed. It's yeah. like, yeah, not really. So I wouldn't recommend this. And this film is a sham. It's a scam. It's a sham and a scam. This film is billing itself as this kind of Christian-based message movie. Now, Bartek and myself were looking forward to that for nefarious reasons, I would say. We wanted to find the heavy-handed, on-the-nose, like, cringy kind of stuff. I feel sorry for the people who who genuinely wanted a faith-based apocalypse movie, because that is a a demographic. There are people who want that. The films are made for a reason. This film is a very cynical movie. If I was a... Like, a a proper Christian, and I was into this stuff, 
this film would actually, uh, on a level, offend me with how much it has contempt for Christian beliefs and 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 innocence and all of that. Like, yeah, sure, the family get together in the end and hug, and there's no heavy-handed message about faith or anything, but there is no message about anything about religious ideals. There's no message. In fact, no one learns anything in this movie. That's one of the things, at least with yeah, the other movies we've covered on the show, ham-fisted or not, they learned something by the end. All our main character did was he went to find his family and he yeah. didn't really learn much along the way. Yeah, and it's not even that he missed anything. It's there was nothing. I wouldn't recommend it. And I think if you were actually looking forward to this for pure reasons, for the good message and and or apocalyptic destruction, you're going to miss out on both ends. I do feel sorry for people who are genuinely into um, faith-based movies because this film is reeling you in and it's a lie. Uh, maybe this film is made for me for people <laughs> maybe faith films decided will make a film that will entice these young people that like to make reviews and make fun of bad faith-based movies and will teach them a lesson i feel like the ideal type of person that this film would be made for is the type of person who like makes i guess comedic videos about films because yeah. then at least they can um, accentuate and emphasize all the funny parts and try to make humor out of it. But if we're talking about recommendations on its own merits of like, you know, watch the whole thing, whether it be on your own or with a group of people to get something out of it, it's just the stuff that you can possibly gain from it are too far few and in between. Yeah. Like the best you can get is you'll pick your favorite moments and like reference it every now and then. But definitely for us walking in blind and hoping for more, yeah, it, it just doesn't cut it. Like I've been pretty optimistic on this show. I, I've at least said that I've not regretted watching any of the films we've done and still, yeah, I don't regret it because I get to make this podcast and have a discussion about it, have some laughs with Ryan, and I guess we can like reference some of our favorite points in the future. Yeah. But really, there's there's really nothing else to gain from this film. Lynn, 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 come on, you got to take the antidote now. Come on, Lynn. No, David, no, no. Save it for your daughter. Come on, come on. No, Lynn, Lynn. Please! Oh no, Ryan! It's a relative of the bad guy that we keep fighting every week, but this one's the little brother. It only requires three people to defeat, but we've uh, only got two of us. So, we have to, as a, as, as a duo, have to enlist a third person to help us defeat an evil boss that's stopping us from ending the episode? Yes, we have to get a person from the film to help us. I've always thought that the mystery box was a box full of evil things. This is the mystery boss. That's it. I was going to say, I've always assumed from the opening intro to the show that the mystery box is a m mysterious box that's evil, but what it's actually doing is providing us champions to fight against evildoers. And it provided us Meteor Apocalypse this episode to help us get the Jesus aspect against our villain, who is now maybe Satan. Take a breath, take a breath. Maybe Satan. It could be Satan. Ryan, enough jibber-jabber. We need to pick a third person, and that person has to be from the film. So many characters to choose from. And we have two candidates. Is it going to be Mr. Helium, or is it going to be the woman from the church? 
Oh, this is a toughie. This is a toughie. Uh, I'm gonna... Mm, I'm actually gonna... I think this might be an unexpected choice for me. Oh? I'm gonna say Helium Boy. I was thinking Helium Boy too. I think it's unexpected for me because I liked Church Lady more. But why I choose Helium Boy is... God decided he didn't have to die. I was thinking that, yeah. And Church Lady, as cool as she was, she found someone. Who that was? Eh, you, we'll, you know. We'll never know. You know. Well, we know, but we'll never know. We have Helium Boy on our side. And the one thing I know about <laughs> Helium Boy is he stands up for his ethics and morals even in the face of a literal meteor coming yes, to him. And in the face of people without voices that are silly. So we have our... Is our boss battle against... The devil or a meteor? Ryan, it is against a devilish meteor, and its mode of combat is karaoke. Well, we have to use our attack modes and or runaway modes. Bartok, you go first. What's your choice against devilish meteor who Mm. loves karaoke? Well, I did hear that you have to fight fire with fire, but because... This is a world in which logic does not dictate. I will try to use a different form of weapon. I am going to use all of my friends' missiles against it. Oh, no. No, Bartek. You've created more enemies to fight. What? But I wanted to... Oh, I messed up. You've messed up, and now it's even more powerful. It's time for me to step up to the game. I'm going to use my faith in Jesus. Oh, no. No, there's a meteor coming for me! No! I'm dead. I'm now an angel that exists. I'm here as a spiritual guider to Helium Boy. Helium Boy, what's your attack against the devilish meteor and meteors? Well, I think I am going to fight fire with fire, so if it's going to sing at me, I'm going to sing back. Great. And there's only one song that I could possibly sing at it. All right, I'm going to sing the first song that I ever remember learning. Go on. Happy birthday to you. <gasps> Happy birthday to you. It's exploding. Happy birthday, dear boy. Oh, no. Happy birthday to Hollywood. you. Hollywood's been destroyed. You. Hollywood's been wiped out, but we survived. And now we're all hugging. Until next time, guys. Remember to hug each other and be kind to one another because that's what we're all about here at Spit and Polish. At Spit and Polish Presents, you know, you can you can support us, look for us anywhere where Spit and Polish Presents, we're on Podbean, iTunes, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. We're on all of those. Spread us around, give us a rating, give us give us a review, subscribe, do all of that neat supporting stuff because, you know, we're here from, you know, heaven and we're here to make content for you to enjoy and we enjoy making it for you. So remember, bring in those loved ones on that mountaintop while my helicopter rides up playing this podcast at you and just know that you're safe. We love you. And in the face of mortal danger, just remember, don't get dead. <laughs>